Amen. How many believe you have a destiny? Can I hear you make some noise? Come on. Tell your neighbor that you're glad they are here this morning. Come on. I want to give you guys just a praise testimony. Metro Praise is growing more than it ever has before. And some of you have asked me, how is that possible when I see less people in the first service? That is because we had two services before at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., and you guys were smoking the 1 p.m. We would have as many as 150 in the 10 a.m. and only averaging around 70 in the 1 p.m. Are you guys tracking with me? What's 150 plus 70? 220. But we're averaging 250 now. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. Well, guess what happened? Boop, boop. About 30 people went to now the 11 a.m. because we made it 9 and 11, and you guys are basically split right down the middle. You were at last week's 11 a.m. Look around. Wasn't there about this many people? And you're not lying, amen, even though I put you on the spot. But the same amount. Why? Because we have about 80 to 90 in the sanctuary and in the, the, in the back, and then the children about 30 to 40, averaging about 120 to 125. So what's 125 plus 125? 250. So I thought if somebody asked that question, though I'm not pointing out anybody, I thought maybe somebody else would be wondering that, thinking of pastors telling lies and fibs. How are we growing, pastor? I see more empty seats. Now here's the challenge. I want you to get back to 150. Get back to 150. And the second service goes to 150, and we're going to hit 300. How many believe we can do that for Jesus? Oh, I don't think you believe it. Say amen. Now, the second thing I got to talk to you about is I got to get a little word of faith up in you today. I got to put some prosperity into you today. Now, we are a gospel-centered church, so we don't seek money for money's sake. Bible says you love money, you go to hell. But money is a tool to get things done on this earth. And I want to tell you, God has challenged me all throughout my years to give not just what I have in my hand, but to give what he has in his hand. And when we partner with souls, we sow into the kingdom of God. And so I want to encourage you to sow into the gospel. And I don't say this cheaply, and you can count on your one hand the amount of times I have reiterated what my wife has ever said an offering. Can I get an amen for some people who have been around here? You can't even count on one hand, maybe once or twice since we've been doing it, my friend. So this is just real. I'm telling you, there is breakthrough in finance when we give. I'm not saying you sow a thousand, you get a million. I'm not saying to get a holy rag and put it under your, your bed or something. But I'm just wanting you to learn the principle, give and it shall be given to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. Many of you have got to sow to a need in your life that you want to see God meet. You have to show the Lord, I'm willing to give sacrificially so that you can trust me with what you have. God, this is what's in my hand, but I need what's in your hand. Can I hear an amen? And I was talking to Ishmael, who's been a faithful giver and an elder in this church through many of the projects. And he said, we got to challenge the young and the new people so that they don't just depend upon the elders now, those who have got some greenbacks and own houses and land, so that the young bucks just don't sit back and let them put in the work all the time. Now, they don't mind giving because the more they sow, the more they reap. But they wanted you to know, and I think it's a good word. So I'm going to ask Ishmael to come up on the spot. Let's give it up for Ishmael as he comes. Ishmael, I just want you to encourage them because you didn't start off owning houses and land and cars and blessings, working for Pepper Construction downtown building buildings. Come on, somebody. How, what was the stories of the building you guys just built there? 26 stories. That's a building. Come on, somebody. I, I knew him as a gas-passing, Mountain Dew-drinking, pizza-eating, video-gaming, single teenager. Or were you in your 20s? You were in your 20s. So he didn't always start off blessed and prosperous and healthy. He healthy. Amen. He healthy. He's a blessed man. But I want you to hear it from, I'm not, listen to me, we're not trying to shake you out of any money. Listen, I don't need it because I got God. He's my source, amen. 
I've, I've, I have raised more than that than less than what's in this row right here. When this man stepped up, every chair you're sitting on was bought with these guys, and they were in their 20s, and we needed a lot more. They paid for every. These chairs were $44 a piece. We bought 100 put $4,000. I mean, so many things had to happen with about 20 people. So he wants to encourage you to have faith to believe. Would you just tell them in just 60 seconds what they need to do? Or... Amen. Thank you, Joe. Each man should give in his own heart. Each man should give what he has decided in what? I gave you the answer. In his own heart to give, right? So if you don't have a heart to give, then you have to check your what? Heart. Exactly. So it doesn't matter where you're at in life. Uh, just like Joe said, you know, I was, he described me pretty well, actually. <laughs> but it doesn't matter where you're at in life if you have a heart to give and God gives you a number. I have a number. God gave me a number to give. Amen. And it's not because, you know, I'm sitting back and, you know, just zap me with a number. No, I just, boom, there's a number right there. You know, so God gives you a number. You have to be open to give. And why? For the principle. It's just a principle. Give and it will be given to you. Who said that? Jesus said that. A good measure. Press down. Shake. Do you, don't you want the blessing of Jesus? That's it. So, so when we talked about it, I was like, hey, let's encourage the young people. Just like Pastor Joe in his 20s encouraged me to give. Why don't, we, why don't we do the same for, for uh, it's, it's, the principle is the same thing. The formula is going to work no matter what age you are. Amen. So young people, do it. You can do it. Amen. That's it. Amen. I just want to read that scripture. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Can we give it up for Jesus today? Amen. That's my talk. It's up to you now what you want, but just don't get jealous when we get blessed. Amen? Don't be hating on my house. Don't hate on my car. Don't hate on my kids. Don't hate on my job. Don't hate on his promotion. Don't hate on his 55-inch TV he won from Pepper. Amen? Just don't hate. Just don't hate. Can I hear an amen? Praise God. Ephesians 1.15. Ephesians 1.15. We are in a new passage starting a new portion of Ephesians. Somebody say faith and love. Thank you. We are now moving through the book of Ephesians to a new passage. Those of you who have joined us new, we're so glad you joined us. You might have been wondering, was the only passage of, a, of the Bible that we knew was Ephesians 1-3? We were in it for almost 16 weeks, over three months, and now we are moving on to the next passage. I want to encourage you, read the book of Ephesians once a week. Once a week takes 20 minutes to read it. By audio, you can listen to it in 20 minutes. Apps have it for free. Our Bible Bible app has it, MPI, uh, Metro Praise International Church app has it on there for free. You can listen to the audio. And you guys have been so faithful to God's word, and I'm encouraged by your faithfulness. So continue to study it and watch what God's word will do in your heart. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. The word of God is the foundation on which we build our lives on. Can I hear an amen? Storms will come and go, but those who build their houses on the word of God, those houses remain. It's a new passage. Are you excited? I've got to just read through it one whole time without preaching it, but I'm so excited. I don't know if I can do it, but Lord, help me. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Can I hear an amen? This is the section called Paul's Prayer. 
We were before in Paul's thankfulness as he started his letter to the people of Ephesus. It's good that we go back over this now and give you a brief overview of where my nine sermons are coming from in this passage. Well, we see that Paul says, for this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. So if you have a good Bible, you'll probably see this marked off as Paul's prayer. This is Paul's first prayer in the book of Ephesians. He has another prayer that he prays for them, and that's further on into chapter 3. This prayer is motivated because he has seen their faith in Jesus and their love for God's people. That's today's message. Faith and love. Everybody say faith and love. Don't you see I got an easy job as a preacher. I don't have to worry about the seraphim, the cherubim, who the four horsemen of the apocalypse are, who the antichrist is, how to get you rich and have all the little mansions you want in this world. All I have to do is preach the word and it's right there, isn't it? I can teach you all about those things through this, and God will teach you the rest when he uh, leads you through those passages. But all of our prosperity or families, all of those things are going to be reduced down to faith and love in Jesus. Now he says, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you. And so what I want us to understand is that Paul was a praying man. We'll talk about prayer next week, but Paul was not just going to prayer meetings, though those are wonderful. We had uh, almost uh, 50 of them go to an outdoor prayer meeting last uh, two weeks ago in our church. Can I get an amen for that? Come on, bless the Lord. Outdoor prayer meeting, why not? Let's, let's do it all for the Lord. But not just going to a prayer meeting, but having a prayer life. Look at your neighbor and say, get a life, a prayer life. Come on, tell your neighbor, get a life. Get a prayer life. Paul said that he prayed without ceasing. He made his mental life a part of his prayer life. It's not that hard if you believe the passage before that we've already studied, that we're in Christ. If you believe that you're in Christ, then it's not a mystery to how your thoughts can intertwine with his thoughts, having the mind of Christ. He says that he keeps asking. And you know there's a part about perseverance and prayer that gets us the answers. The Bible teaches that it's those who um, do not give up, who work hard and continue on. And prayer is one of those things. Sadly, we'll keep taking the medicine of the doctor, not expecting just one time, one dose to do it. But we'll give up on prayer after one prayer. Come on, somebody. We'll, we'll know that we have to build a marriage and get to know each other because with, when the honeymoon's over, you might not know each other very well and may want to kick each other out the house or, you know, have some long arguments, but we know we got to be patient in marriage, but for some reason we think one prayer with Jesus, we already know all about him. Come on. And, and, and some of us, we understand we got to go to work and we got to put in time and maturity if we want to be great on our jobs and in our career and education. And yet we think we're going to throw up a prayer before we go to bed at night and that's going to solve all the problems in our life. Come on, somebody, say get a life get a prayer life. You got to get a prayer life. He said, I keep asking. This is a part of my daily ritual as it was. It's my habit to pray for you to our Lord Jesus Christ, in, in, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to our glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, there's two things you have to see here. Number one, there's the Trinity. As you have learned in our prior discussion into verses one and two, whenever Paul is referring to God, he's already letting you know it's referring to the Father. He believes Jesus Jesus is God. Sometimes the Jehovah Witnesses like to say, see, Paul doesn't think Jesus is God. He thinks only the Father is God and Jesus is a lesser being. But that's not true. Paul, as a good Jew, always keeps God the Father, that title from the Old Testament, and applies it to the Father. But he goes in extensive detail to apply it to Jesus. The sister letter to Ephesians is Colossians. And as deep as Ephesians is to the revelation of who you are in Christ is as deep of the revelation of who Christ is to the Colossians. He is the exact image, representation of God the Father. The fullness of God is in Jesus, okay? So that's not the subject of this letter, but if you knew Paul, you would understand when he says God, he's always referring to the Father. And if you don't believe me, he clarifies even in this text. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. 
Now, once again, you may get confused and say, well, if Jesus has a God, that must mean he's not God. But he clarifies in what way Jesus has a God. Jesus has a Father. This goes back into our understanding of their relationship. Now, first of all, the relationship of authority does not change identity. I have a Father. And I myself am a father, but we are both of the human race. Are you listening to me? My father and me are both equally human. Do you understand? The only difference in that example for what I'm going to draw out to you in the Trinity is that my father existed before I existed. That's where the example ends. Jesus has always existed as long as the father and the spirit have existed. But Jesus is always under the father. He has always been, as it says, eternally begotten of the father, subordinate to him in the God nature, but never less than the father. Do you understand? Am I less human than my earthly father? Just because he's my earthly father, am I less human than him? Now, my wife and I think of it the same way. I am over my wife with authority, but am I over her in nature? Do I have more human nature than my wife? Am I more human or is she less human? Come on, somebody. I am over my children, but am I over them in nature? No, just in authority. Now, you could say once again, I have existed before them, and not with my wife and I, but with my children. And once again, Again, that is not the example with Jesus. Jesus was not born on Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, let me draw this out for you. John 1, 2 says, in the beginning he was with him. John 1, 3 says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Draw two lines. On one side of those lines, put on, on, just draw one line, and on one side of the line, put made things. On the other thing, on the other line, put unmade things. What side does Jesus go on? The made side or the unmade side? If all things were made through him, what side does he go on, friends? Unmade. He is unmade. How many things in the universe can be unmade? Only God is unmade. Some of your minds just got blown. You want to go back to Sunday school? I'll take my time, amen. I'm not in a hurry today. Through him all things were made that have been made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Is that not what it says, John 1, 3? Draw a line, put on one side made, put on another side unmade. What side is Jesus on, my friends? Unmade. Who is unmade in this universe? Is there anything else uncreated, unmade, uncaused? There is your solution to the Jehovah Witness dilemma they try to keep putting you in. They use these scriptures against us because they do not understand them. You don't understand them and you get whipped over the head with them. Now understand it. Understand the triune nature of God more than you understand anything in this life. That's the prayer of Paul, by the way, is for you to know him. To have the spirit of revelation that you may know him better. Trying to help you. Trying to be an answer to Paul's prayer. Anybody else want to be an answer to Paul's prayer today? And then we see the spirit. Once again, the spirit always proceeding, depending on what Greek tradition, east or west you want to take, or church father tradition, is the spirit proceeding only from the father or from the father and the son. That will blow your mind depending on which way you want to put the triangle. Father, Son, Spirit, or Father, Spirit, Son. You'll have to decide how you want to put the triangle or flip it upside down, you know, which one is proceeding from which direction. Some of you have studied church history. will have to decide that for yourself. To me, it's not as important as you understanding. The Spirit is also equal with the Father and the Son, but yet he is always proceeding from them. Once again, because the Spirit does not speak on his own, he only speaks what he hears the Son say, does that mean he's less than the Son? No, not at all. He is equal to the Son just because you may say what the Bible now says through Paul doesn't mean you are less than Paul. You are just echoing Paul. Do you make up Scripture as you go through life? 
No, you echo what Scripture says. So you're just like the Holy Spirit, not in the sense of divinity, but follow the example again. You are like the Holy Spirit in echoing what you hear someone else say as divine. Once again, that does not take away your nature. Paul is not greater than you in nature. He's just a chain, a link in the chain ahead of you in the recitation of the Word of God. Do you understand? And just because the Holy Spirit is a part of the chain of the recitation of the things of God, you can see him in creation and acting what the Father and Son are saying, it doesn't make him less than God. This is the Trinity, reinforced by Matthew chapter 28, 18 and onward, where he says, baptize them in the one name, the God of Israel, Yahweh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and what? The Holy Spirit. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. How many learned something in verse 17 today? Amen. And some of y'all bored with the Bible. How many are not bored with the Bible yet? Amen. Continuing our review before I get into the lesson, I want you to understand this text and where the lessons are coming from, and we'll get into all of these even more. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Because we've already preached on glorious inheritance, we won't have to repeat that here, but I will be spending time on enlightenment. Oh, yes. Don't let the Eastern religions take enlightenment from you. Bad Buddha. You don't get that. I'll take that. Thank you very much. Oh, Brad Pitt. Oh, you've been enlightened. Bad Brad Pitt, I'll take enlightenment from you. Thank you very much. Oh, the Enlightenment age. Oh, some of you guys were Christian, but some of you were not trying to prove with your mind there was no God who gave you a mind, trying to prove with science and that science made sense that somehow science disproved God. Oh, you silly Enlightenment people, we'll take back that knowledge from you and we'll give it back to God where it belongs. And we'll talk about being enlightened in our heart. The cardia of the Greek language is the seat of the soul. And that's where you get enlightened, my friend. The meditation that they're playing with, if at best, just mental, if at worst, demonic, still can't do what God can do. Enlighten your soul. He will enlighten your soul to the past that he places before you. Even as Christians, many of you walk in darkness because you're not enlightened to see what he has for you. And the motivation for living holy is having a bigger yes than you have a no. See, many of you see the commands of God as no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't touch this, don't do that, don't. But see, that don't keep you. That's, not, that's why you struggle with sin, because your yes is not bigger than your no. You need to see the yes that draws you into fellowship with God. You need to see the yes and amen of every promise of the Lord. You need to see the hope of his glorious inheritance, and let that motivate you more than just saying no, no, no. There's a big yes in heaven for me. Some of you need to know the hope beyond the scope of human limitation. I have a hope that's greater than the politics of the world. I have a hope that's greater than just what the doctor tells me. I have an inheritance that no one can take. Verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I mean, can you say that you have gotten to the bottom of that nuggy? Have you discovered all of God's great power yet for your life? Some of you took all that power just to get up this morning and come to church. You're like, Jesus, I got to deplete it all today. I need all that power, Jesus. Just fill me up, fill me up, get me to church. I made it, Jesus. Here I am, running on E now. Pastor's going long. What about power to win souls for Jesus? What about power to be blessed on your job? What about power to change the community? What about power to go into war against the devil? Instead of you always cowering, running from him, saying, oh, devil, don't mess with me tonight. Oh, devil, I, I just don't want nobody to mess with me. I'm so scared of you, devils. Today going to be a day you're going to mess with me. What if you just got your slingshot and said, where's he at? Where's he at? I want to find him. You come running like David to the battle saying, you are mine. Changes perspectives of life, doesn't it? Oh, God, I pray the devil won't mess with my kids anymore. I just pray he won't mess with my kids. Come here, devil. 
in the name of Jesus, I cast you out of my family. I cast you out of my children. I take back their mind in the name of Jesus. I'll meet you here every night at 10 o'clock until you leave this house. And then I'll take my neighbor's house and we'll take the whole block in Jesus' name. Though a thousand fall at my one side, 10,000 at the other, the destruction shall not come nigh me. That was the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That was the power that Paul was obsessed with. He said, man, I don't want to know anything but the power of the cross. He said, I've been doing this for a while. I know a lot of things about a lot of things. But he said, I count them all but dung that I may know Jesus, the power of his resurrection, and to share in those sufferings, to be like him. The Bible says the same power that raised him from the dead seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Why is it you and I are seated with Christ in heavenly realms? Because he went there first, prepared the way through his death, burial, and resurrection. All authority is his. Now let me give you one more nuggie to to take on an atheistic world now. Now this is not a Jehovah Witness thing, but an atheistic world that tells you that Paul, if he really was a disciple of Christ, why doesn't he talk more about Jesus and his parables? Why doesn't Jesus come out through Paul's teachings more? Why isn't he quoting Jesus all the time? And so they'll get you to doubt whether or not Paul was really a disciple. Now, the first thing is he wasn't one of the original 12. He gets converted later after Jesus has already ascended. But then they say, well, why didn't he take the traditions that he had and, and that, that they were being passed around and start writing about the woman with the issue of blood or tell us story that Jesus had said from the Beatitudes. But what they don't understand at this time, this time the Gospels had not even been written yet. They were still oral tradition. Paul was actually writing before them. And Paul even assigned his assistant Luke to write a Gospel on their travels to gather together everybody's testimony. And that then became the historical record through Luke. And then he wrote the historical record of the church, the book of Acts. But here is where you see that the revies he got in the desert for three years line up exactly with the Word of God. Let's see if you can catch it. Where have you heard that Jesus has all rule and authority? Where have you heard in the Gospels that it's not only in this present age, but the age to come? Where have you heard that in the Gospels? Before it was even written, how did Paul know to write that? Some of y'all get whooped by an atheist, I guess, then. Where is it at? Somebody shout it out. It's Bible class now. There you go, Matthew 28. Did not Jesus say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? Paul's writing this before the book of Matthew's even written. And did not he end that and say, and I will be with you to the very end of the age? How did Paul know those goodies? Gospels hadn't even been written yet, being passed around through oral tradition. Three years, he's hanging out with Jesus. Paul was acquainted with Jesus. The Gospels were the records that came out after, right around Paul's second or third letters. They start coming out, starting with the Gospel of Mark, which was Peter's assistant. And John Mark had some problems with Paul. He became a coward and got kicked off the mission trip, if you didn't know about that. And that's when God sent Timothy, so God will get somebody in your place if you don't want to do the work. Come on, say, oh, look out. But those gospel records came after some of these letters, and Ephesians was probably written around the time maybe of Matthew, but of course it wouldn't have really reached him, or we don't know, but we do know that the Holy Spirit can't lie and that affirmed the very things of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, I could keep you here all day, and there's been books that have written that talk about Paul and the gospels because it's the same Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I guarantee you, this is not an insult. The Jehovah Witness pry towards you or the, you know, the, the, um, the spur that I gave you with the Jehovah Witness and the atheist, that was a good, healthy rebuke. But I don't hold this against you because it took me a long while to get this. And I will not ask you to explain this to me right now. But take your time, look at it, and I'll read it one more time. And just tell me what in the world is happening here. Let's go to verse 23, maybe simplify the passage just in that part. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
See, you may have gotten confused like me saying, well, he's filling up everything, so it's not a big deal. But it starts in verse 23 saying he fills up his body first. But what is his body? It says in the verse prior, it's the church. Now it says that the fullness of him then fills everything in every way. This is how the best that I have come up with through the studies and the Greek and the translation. And by the way, hermeneutics is the study of Scripture. Exegesis is the proper interpretation of Scripture. It's how you exegete from the text. Eisegesis is when you insert into the text. The best that I got, and I think the ESV captures this, the ESV translation, we use the NIV, is that Christ first reveals the fullness in the church, and the church is what reveals his fullness to the world, and that will blow your mind. At night, you don't see the sun. You only see the moon. God is saying, the only way you will see the fullness of me is through that thing I call the church. I don't mean to be dramatic. That puts the fear of God in me and a whole lot of excitement in me. But you better get that. I double-dog dare you to study that this week and see if I misinterpreted that. The great big God of heaven and earth that, the, that King Solomon built a temple for, and he said, man, you think this temple can fill me? The whole universe can't even fill me. He said, but I picked a place to fill. And I called it my bride, and I called it my body, called it the church. And he says, through the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way is revealed or is made known. That's the only place I can go with that because where else does the church fit into this? Where else does it fit into this? And why is it when he's talking about marriage, when we get into Ephesians 5, he says, you think it's a mystery when a man and woman become one. The mystery that's really greater and why there was ever a man and woman to begin with is me with humanity becoming one with them. What we would call divine penetration. Peter calls it sharing in the divine nature. Man becoming with God in not substance but in character like he is. Athanasius, the great Trinitarian theologian of the 4th century, battling Arianism, which was a form of Jehovah Witnesses, said that the Son of God became the Son of Man, that the Son of Men might become sons of God. That's the revy of that bad boy. So here's our passages that are sermons that we'll be going through. Are you ready? Can I hear an amen? We'll go through faith and love today with the time that we have remaining. We'll go through giving thanks and making requests to God in prayer next week. We'll pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God better, that you would set your mind upon the Trinity and the nature of Jesus, the God-man, that you would be filled with the Spirit, okay? Know the love of the Father. Pray to be enlightened to know God's hope, that there needs to be an enlightenment that comes to your spiritual soul to see beyond the world you live in. And to pray to know the glorious inheritance that God has for you and to be enlightened to know God's power. I believe the enlightenment that he talks about there in verses 18 to 20 is to be enlightened to know hope, inheritance, and power, in other words. To know the name of Jesus that is above every other name. To have that authoritative lifestyle. I have Jesus with me who can be against me. To understand that Jesus is the head of the church, and maybe we'll dip a little bit into the fivefold ministry there that's discussed in this letter, and then we'll let our minds be blown. In other words, let them be filled with the fullness of God as we start to get into the nuggy that God would put in us the mind of Christ, that God would seat us with him in heavenly places, that God would intertwine and penetrate our souls with his presence, share in his divine nature, and that we might be like him, clothed in righteousness. I think that will be a good ending to Paul's prayer. Amen? Are you ready for today's message? Look at your neighbor and say, that was the introduction. Amen. Welcome to church where we study God's Word. Faith and love, trusting in God's character and promises is the Greek word pistis. Faith can take you a lot of places where sight cannot. 
Learn to walk by faith and not by sight. If you believe only in what you can see, then only what you can see is what you can have. But if you can believe in what you can't see, you can see things that you have never seen come and receive those things. The Bible actually gives us as the principle that the world you now see didn't come from something seen. It came from something unseen. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. And that's why you can say to that big old Mount Everest, go cast yourself into the sea. Those of you who are into science fiction and you know about Neo, and you know about the Matrix, and the world that was based upon a computer program. Would it be anything for Neo in that computer program to throw a mountain into a sea? Or better yet, would it be hard for the creator of Bart Simpson and the Simpsons cartoon show to draw a mountain and cast it into the sea? My friends, what is a mountain to God but his creation come forth from his word? And do you not have that word in your heart today? Well, the Bible says, do not doubt for if you speak unto that mountain not doubting in your heart it shall be cast into the sea amen that yes is a metaphor of how great our God is but it's still to the very same principle what are the atoms what are the particles and and particle physics physics what are these things but from the very creation of God that can be controlled by God amen Love is that strong affection that results in proximity, selflessness, and sacrifice, agape. Please don't be a spiritual weirdy and think only agape applies to biblical things. My wife is Greek. She spoke it a little bit today, and it turned me on. I'm so happy when you think Greek. Caris. She says it with the Greek accent. Her family's from Thessaloniki, which we know as Thessalonians, or the Bible book, Thessalonians, Thessalonica. And here's the deal with this. Agape is just a normal word to them, was always a normal word, but it can mean special things in the Bible, not because of the value of the word, but because of the value God puts in that word. When he says, my love is like this, then it's the God kind of love. But if you just try to make it some superstitious thing like agape is just this special kind of love. No, they use agape in their language just like we do. Like I love a hamburger, they'll say agape a hamburger, okay? They do have other words for brotherly love, filio and eros for erotic love and filio for brotherly love. But don't be superstitious on Greek words. Just get the love of God in your heart and live like it. Amen? And some of you get tattoos with agape. That's not something I'm going to mention right now. It's okay. You guys are cool because it's a good word, love, right? Let me give you the best that I can today, and I purposely did this because I knew I did not have to go long, but let me remind you of these Ephesians people, the people of Ephesus, because this is what Paul said provoked him to pray was their faith in God and their love for God's people. Let's look at their lives and see how Paul would know such a thing. If you remember, Paul spent about three years in Ephesus preaching and teaching. It was the city that he was in the most. They had experienced an amazing revival to where they turned from their witchcraft and idolatry and burned it into town square worth about $6 million. So they were faithful to Jesus above money and culture. Do I got any people here today that want to be faithful to Jesus above money and culture? What if turning from God cost you a whole lot of uh, turning from the world cost you a whole lot of money? Would you still do it? What if turning to God meant you had to turn away from family traditions? What if they said, "Let's go down to the Catholic Church. Let's carry the Virgin Mary down the street. We've been doing this for years. You know, come on, Ewela's going to be there. She wants you to carry it this year. Come on, have you ever seen those? Y'all acting like you don't know Catholic people. Y'all acting like you don't understand this." I know many of you came from that. Uh, some of you didn't come from that. Some of you might have come from a place like Jared's family where they're very, you know, atheistic and just disbelieving and don't bring that Jesus stuff around here. Well, what do you say to that? Do you just say, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll stop talking about Jesus because he's not that important. Okay, I'll treat him like he's what? Uh, the Cubs, you're tired of hearing me talk about the Cubs because you're a Sox fan. Oh, okay, I'll stop talking about Jesus. Is that it? Or do you say something like, let me tell you this. I've heard you talk about the stupidest things for the last 20 years. If you don't want me to talk about Jesus, just uninvite me from this thing. Any saved people here? I'm not talking about being rude. I'm just talking how to respond to rudeness like that. Let's well, not talk about Jesus. Got you. How about you stop talking about stupid things then? You stop. Now, if we don't have anything less to talk about, I'll, I'll be here for a little bit patiently with you. Maybe there's some good food here, right? 
But let's just be honest. Don't you tell me to stop talking about Jesus when I have to hear you talk about every stupid thing on your job, every stupid thing broken in your house. Come on, somebody. Every stupid thing you want to do with sports, I, I don't want to hear it then. You want to be real and rude, I'll be real and kind and just tell you where it's all at. I had to dismiss myself. Sometimes you got to give people the gift of goodbye. I dismissed myself from family barbecues. They just didn't want to hear it from me. And I said, I got better things to do. I got people who want to hear it. Who's my mother, brother, and sister? Jesus said, those who do the, do the will of the Lord. I don't care if you came from the same lineage as I do and you call yourself my uncle. I got uncles in here that love Jesus. I ain't got time to be with you if you don't love Jesus. I'll help you. You know, And I'm not talking about being rude and shoving Jesus down their throat. I'm just talking about responding to when they tell you that. Amen? These people gave up something to follow Jesus. Is your Jesus worth it? Amen? They suffered persecution, which was now more than just money. They were beaten and ridiculed. You know that Timothy, the disciple of Paul, was killed in Ephesus? He was preaching like we're going to do on that truck. He was preaching at a festival. He was an old man at this time, faithful to his post to continue to share God's word. And they said, shut up, old man. He said, I can. It's like fire in my bones. They beat him, drug him through the streets, stoned him in front of the festival and kept partying. That's how Timothy died. Paul was beheaded by the psychotic ruler of Rome, Nero. You willing to be faithful? You willing to go hard for this? Because you'll feel like giving up sometimes, but you got to tell the devil, I'm not giving up. If you don't quit, you win. We've been learning that in the staff. I've been doing devotions with elders and deacons. I want everyone to get this. You don't quit, you win. Confess Christ until the day you die, and you will see the eternal rewards. I can only just tell you that, friends. I believe him. More than I see the problems of this world. I believe him. Amen. They were faithful despite false teachers. Even Paul warned about this. And you see all of my references there in Acts. It tells the story of their Christianity. Don't just take this for granted that they're just some nameless, faceless people in a book somewhere. These are people like you. These are people like you that gave up money, that gave up family, that are getting beat in town squares. And then people in their own churches started turning on them. And Paul said, don't turn with them. If you listen to most of Paul's teachings, he's already rebuking them. And by the time Jesus, 90 AD, gives a report of these churches, which is just mostly 30 to 40 years later, only one gets a passing grade. All the rest of them, Jesus said, I'm about ready to spit you out my mouth. You right here about ready to get your candlestick taken from you. He even says to the Ephesians, you've lost your first love because they followed false teachers. You live out your truest beliefs. You live out what you really believe. You may mentally ascend to Christianity, but you will live out atheism if that's what you believe tomorrow. You may mentally ascend to the morality of the Bible, but you will live it out tonight on your computer what you really believe. Are you listening to me? And false teachers come around you in all shapes and sizes to try to tell you it's okay to believe false beliefs. Oprah will tell you it's okay to do these things, to sleep with Stedman, though you're not married, you know, to have a relationship like that. Or this false teacher over here will tell you these lies, and obvious ones, you know, like the cults, and they stood faithful at this point, amen? And that's what we want to do is we want to be faithful. Somebody say be faithful. If we're faithful, God will make us fruitful. And then lastly here, they loved God's people. How do we know they loved God's people? Because we do some research into the book of Acts, a little bit in Ephesians, and then the Timothy. How would we know to go to Timothy? Because that's the place Timothy is at while Paul is writing to him. And so we know around that time, these are the things that were in this church of Ephesus. Well, they loved their leaders. Come on, somebody say amen. They love their leaders. Do you love preaching like this? Do you love the truth? Do you love the Goveas and the Vivids who open up their homes to you? Do you love our children's workers, our youth workers, those who lay down their life for you, the worship leaders? You know, we have a high standard for our leaders. Sometimes they have to sit down and work on their life, but we're never going to put before you sinful leaders as long as I'm in this church. Amen? They say a good church will expose sin within a year. Nobody hides sin very long in this church. Aren't you happy for them? If you want sin to be exposed in your life, hang around this church for a while. And we don't got to be Sherlock Holmes. I'm just telling you, God will do it. 
And a lot of times you go looking for people that stop going to this church and you think maybe they just left because they found a better band. Most people who leave this church were one to the Lord here because we're not really attracting a whole lot of church people, though that's been happening more as we've been growing. But most people who leave this church leave because we won them to the Lord and now they're in sin and they don't want to stop. And when you talk to them, all you have to do is hear their bitterness and their anger and then just just go right through it because I can't tell their business. Do you understand? They will say, Pastor Joe did this. Well, now it's not so much towards me because I don't do the counseling. The Govets and Vivits do the counseling. They'll be like, I'm mad at the Vivits. I'm I'm mad at the Vivits. That's how they do it. I'm mad at the Govets. Just anytime you hear that, just look. everybody look up at me. Just say, cut the baloney. Tell me what you did. Just tell me what you did. Just tell me what you did. Don't lie. Tell me what you did. You got a whole lot of bitterness and anger in you. And I know that church to be a great church. I mean, and may not agree with everything. Every, you know, everybody's going to have their issues. But that level you have in you right now, that's coming from something. Just tell me what you did. Oh, I cheated on my wife. Oh, when to stop looking at pornography. They said that I was putting up dirty pictures on my Facebook. Come on. You're a married man. You put up nude pictures or half-naked videos. I don't care what the point is. Why do you got that on there? I'll delete you as my friend. Now that offends you. Okay, well, now I know where your heart is. Put that, put that on any of these other pastors' pages. See what they think. Come on, somebody. Some of this stuff is obvious. Some of it's not, but we'll help you. Amen? Because we're going to encourage you. Well, how many like to be encouraged? How many like to be encouraged? We're not crazy. We're not schizophrenic. There's time to correct. There's time to rebuke. There's time to what? Encourage. Don't you know that's what the word does? And then what's the last thing? Train in righteousness. We're going to practice correcting, rebuking, encouraging. What will two-thirds of our ministry be in this church? Correcting, rebuking. What will one-third of it be? Amen. Amen. They sang songs to each other. You guys want me to sing one of my favorite songs to you right now? I will. I'll sing you a song. They love their families. They believed in equality. Oh, I want all of my friends here that are in the, the social justice movements to listen to me. Don't believe any lie to tell you the Bible promoted slavery. Everywhere Christianity went, it ended slavery. Everywhere it went, it promoted adoption. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, slaves and masters talking about re relationship of employment. It says, slaves obey your masters. And then it says, very important, I highlight it there. Masters, treat your slaves as you want to be treated because there will be no impartiality on judgment day. The cult of American Christianity could beat Kutakinte and go to church. Listen to me. They went to hell if they did not repent. It was a cult form of Christianity. No more than polygamy is a cult form of Christianity. Are you listening? True Christianity abolishes slavery, and that's why it was abolished in a Christian worldview and not in an Islamic worldview where it still continues to this day, not in a political worldview where it still continues in communism and socialistic countries. It wasn't done in Hinduism where the caste system and slave system still remains in their culture to this day. Sex trading of the Southeast Asian Buddhist empires. Are you listening? It was done away with through the Christian worldview, and that was with red and yellow, black and white, all of them precious in his sight, stood against slavery. So don't believe anything other than that. That's what the Bible says. Get more like Christ, and you will treat people equally. Serving. They love to serve each other. As we look through the Bible, serving is a way that we identify with Christ. Being charitable. How many remember reading in Timothy that they were taking care of widows? So how do I know that this was already happening? Because by the time Paul is writing Timothy, he's not saying start feeding the widows. He's telling them how to do it and organize it because obviously it's been going on before the letter. And that's why Paul said, since I've heard, since I've heard about your faith and love, I can't stop praying for you. Amen. And they were generous. They didn't love money. They loved God, put God over money, but they let money work for them and the kingdom, and they gave generously, and they were a part of one of the most generous churches because they knew how to give and support the rest of the churches. Can I hear an amen? Would you stand to your feet and give it up for faith and love today? Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Oh, man, I'm so happy you are here today. That was so fun. Did you guys have a good time? That was so pastoral. I really felt that. Sometimes I feel like I'm just like, poof, I'm just preaching. Today I felt like that was pastoring. 
I really feel nice, like there's a big difference, but like I feel like I was connecting with a lot of you guys. Read this passage. Go back over the notes. Check it out. Because here's the question we have to ask ourselves in closing. Has the world seen your faithfulness in Jesus and love for God's people? Where Salvador goes, do they see that he's faithful to God and he loves God people, God's people? Because that's what I want to be said about me. I want you to be able to say, wasn't my pastor's ability to speak, it wasn't his jokes, his books, it was his faithfulness to Jesus and his love for people that really made me think he was a good man. You know, the same thing. I, want, I don't want these people up here just to be based on talent. I want them to be up in front of you because they're good, they're good leaders because they're faithful to Jesus and they love people. And everything you do in life, it's like I want that to be what Paul said to be what someone would say about you. Oh, they're a Christian. Remember with Daniel and, and uh, Babylon, they were trying to find something on him to bring him down. They're like, dude, the only thing we can find to bring this guy down is something to do with his God. Because there's no other way. He's not going to cheat. He's not going to lie. He's not going to, you know. So we now got to persecute him for his faith. Have you been in that place? Somebody wants your promotion and they know, they know there's no way to get you to not get it because you've been awesome. So they want to go to the boss and say, hey, I think that whoever gets this job needs to come early on, on Sundays because then, you know, that, that means they're dedicated. Come on, that would be like a modern-day version of that, wouldn't it? So now they're trying to call you out, be like, look, see, see what you really choose. That's what they did to Daniel. They said, if you pray, we're going to throw you into a lion's den. Some of you all can't even pray for your food. This man was told, if you do pray, we will throw you into a lion's den. He went right to his prayer spot. They must have known where it was by a window or something. And he just got down to pray. <laughs> I could just see the man, almost like you, like a Daniel, just praying, saying, it doesn't matter, Jesus. You've been so faithful. I'm going to pray right now. Throw me into a lion's den. I'll be in your throne. They have done nothing to me. And love for people. There is no greater place than church to love people. And there's no greater place to have the chance to be offended by people. <laughs> I am so serious. Where else do you go? And I know that, you know, we're not thousands, but where else do you go where you have this many people every day in your life? Maybe a pepper meeting once a year, a couple times a year. You might have a corporate meeting or something. But this is your church family. And you're here every week. So that means you have all of these chances to get offended. You have all the chances in the world. Why is this guy always wearing a Cubs thing, man? What's wrong with them, dude? Like, oh, man, I'm a Sox fan. What's wrong? Oh, look at this guy. He's got long hair and a tattoo. What's wrong with him? Oh, man, did you, did you look at my wife the wrong way? Oh, why do you always take my seat? Oh, why do you always do this? Why? Oh, you didn't sing my song. Oh, your, your, your friend said this about me, you know, whatever. You have more chances here to get offended, or you can flip it around and say, I have more chances here to learn to love. To learn to love, amen? To learn to forgive. To learn to practice what heaven is like. If we can't do it right here, why do we think we need to be in the kingdom to come? If we can't do it right here, so what? You know, we're saved by grace through faith, but faith needs to produce the action. So we need to show forgiveness here. We need to show love here. We need to show patience here. We need to serve each other here, amen? I know we don't have a big parking lot. I know y'all be double parking. I want to tow you guys so many times. I think somebody even double parked again today. Y'all make me almost lose my mind. No, I'm kidding. Half kid. But, but I have to forgive you. We have to come back in here and know somebody, hey, whose car did you double park? I know that's a problem. But see, it's those little things, right? It's those little things. It's those little things that just get under our skin. Why don't they know this? Why don't they do this? Why does this happen? You can either make this the greatest place to get offended, messy people cause messes, hurt people hurt people, or you can be a part of loving people, being patient with people, practicing what is in heaven. Amen? Father, I know that you sent us the right people to get the job done. I pray that we'll be faithful and that we'll be loving. Help us, Lord by your power 
through the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, we pray will come and empower us now. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Will you give it up for Jesus today? Amen. If you believe it, God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you for your patience. Come on and receive prayer or worship. Otherwise, we'll see you at Life Groups. Thank you, man. Would you sing it out? Come on. This sounds like a good prayer here. Let's worship to this prayer if you have time. Otherwise, we'll see you. Thank you for coming. Come up for prayer for anything. Today's message, healing for the sick, salvation, baptism of the Holy Spirit.